0: Chapter 3 Vietnam, the Advisory Years to 1965 by Robert Futrell and Martin Blumensen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Chapter 3 The Geneva Agreements and French Withdrawal Victory at Dien Bien Phu allowed the Viet Minh to move troops and weapons toward the Hanoi Haiphong perimeter. During the night of May 12th, 500 Vietnamese regulars at Hanoi deserted with their arms. Grave doubts about holding the Red River Delta arose among the French. Deciding that the safety of the Expeditionary Corps in Vietnam had become the prime consideration, the government directed the French commander to withdraw. He could retire as far as the 18th parallel to safeguard the southern part of Vietnam. Although President Eisenhower believed overt Chinese intervention in Indochina hardly likely, he permitted the military services to plan for the contingency. Identifying the options open to the United States may have benefited French morale. At the time, Admiral Felix B. Stump, U.S. Navy, was Commander-in-Chief Pacific Command, the unified commander responsible for U.S. military operations in Asia south of the 30th parallel. He conceived that an American commander of a Southeast Asia Defense Command ought to move into Vietnam with U.S. Naval and Air Forces, perhaps eight Army divisions, and probably exercise operational control over the French forces. General Partridge, FEAF commander, promptly protested Admiral Stump's concept because it would divide the unity of air command in the Pacific and base air units on hazardous airfields. Less than enthusiastic about B-29s with conventional weapons, Partridge favored using carriers. Believing the struggle to be basically a civil war in which long-term pacification and unification, rather than destruction, were the prime objectives, he thought that conventionally armed B-29s might produce favorable short-term psychological effects but no lasting results. Indecisive and devastating air attacks would be counterproductive, because the real task was to build indigenous military, economic, political, and psychological leadership. Toward the end of May, the Joint Chiefs of Staff were reluctant to place large numbers of American forces in Vietnam. They wished to avoid a defensive Korea-type response and preferred an offensive against mainland China, including attacks against the Chinese war-making capability and, quote, employing atomic weapons whenever necessary. President Eisenhower sent General Trapnell. MAAG Indochina Chief, to Paris at the end of May to discuss cooperative planning with General Elly, who was preparing to go to Vietnam as Commander-in-Chief and High Commissioner. When Elly failed to receive positive assurance of U.S. intervention even in the event of an overt Chinese attack, he was unwilling to accept an overall American commander and was averse to having American ground troops, except for one or two divisions as a show of good faith. After that, the prospects of American intervention diminished. Discussions in Geneva on Indochina commenced May 8 between delegates from the United States, the United Kingdom, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, France, the People's Republic of China, the Kingdoms of Laos and Cambodia, the State of Vietnam, and the Democratic Republic of Vietnam. The question was how to end the war between France and its adherents and the Viet Minh, the former supported by the United States and the latter by Communist China and the Soviet Union. The Viet Minh delegate was hardly anxious to compromise he felt that the french colonials had been defeated and that all of vietnam lay within ho chi minh's grasp seeing little chance of holding an enclave in tonkin the french in june were agreeable to a partitioning of vietnam that would leave the southern part to them by then the viet minh were establishing control over the central highlands on the twenty fourth in Mangyang yang pass they cut off and virtually destroyed 3,600 men of French Mobile Group 100 that was withdrawing toward Pleiku along Route 19. The Viet Minh continued their military successes, and the Geneva negotiations dragged on. Between June 25th to 28th in Washington, President Eisenhower and Prime Minister Churchill drew up a paper and offered it to the French as the basis for an armistice. Pledging to press for a collective defense of Southeast Asia, they warned that the international situation would be seriously aggravated if the French government refused to accept an agreement. The Soviet Union seemed more interested in Europe than in Southeast Asia. Informed speculation indicated that Foreign Minister Vyacheslav M. Molotov pro-offered Premier Pierre Montfrance a somewhat favorable settlement in Indochina if the French abstained from participating in a European defense community. At the same time, Chinese Foreign Minister Chu Lai, apparently impressed with the atomic might of the United States, hoped to demilitarize Indochina to deny the Americans' bases there. On July 8th in Geneva, serious discussions centered around the place where a dividing line could be drawn across Vietnam. The French insisted on the 18th parallel, while the North Vietnamese argued for the 14th. After a private discussion between Mont-France and Chu An-Lai in Bern, the Viet Minh accepted the 17th parallel as the demarcation, and the negotiations moved rapidly to a conclusion on July 21st. Signing an agreement on Vietnam, French and Viet Minh military representatives established two states separated at the 17th parallel, a demilitarized zone on either side of the line, and the withdrawal of French troops from the north and Viet Minh from the south. They prohibited introducing fresh troops, arms, and munitions, as well as building new military bases in Vietnam. International Control Commission teams from Canada, India, and Poland were to supervise the implementation of the armistice and to report violations that might lead to resumed hostilities. Finally, there were to be, by July 1956, elections throughout Vietnam to unify the country. Consultations between representatives of the two parts, North and South, were to start no later than July twentieth, 1955, to prepare for the vote. The Soviet Union wished all parties to accept the Geneva Accords formally, but the United States preferred to keep them a matter between the two principles. Nevertheless, the American delegate, under Secretary of State Walter B. Smith, gave assurance that the United States would, quote, refrain from the threat or the use of force to disturb the agreements and would view any renewal of aggression in violation of the agreements with grave concern as seriously threatening international peace and security end quote. the delegate from south vietnam solemnly protested that his country was not bound by agreements He objected that the French High Command had arrogated to itself the right to fix a date for future elections, a political rather than a military decision. The Geneva Accords led to the removal of USAF logistic support detachments, and General Partridge had started the withdrawal as early as May 13th. But when the French need for support to hold the Red River Delta slowed the evacuation, Partridge directed the detachments to take necessary measures for their own safety and security. The C-47 detachment at Dosan Airfield departed on June 29th. The C-119 detachment at Cat B moved on May 23rd to Touraine and joined the B-26 support group. On July 13th, Defense Secretary Wilson ordered immediate suspension of all material shipments to Indochina. The Air Force stopped all deliveries and started to recover the B-26 and C-119 aircraft on loan, and arranged to evacuate its personnel. Much material already en route to Indonesia in French-controlled ships could not be diverted, and eventually ended up in French dumps and depots. The B-26 and C-119 logistic support detachments remained at Terrain on aircraft recovery missions until the last of the loaned planes returned to Clark Air Base on September 6th. The USAF units had little trouble evacuating their own people from Vietnam, but were hard-pressed to fulfill other personnel movements. The French requested assistance to repatriate wounded men from North Vietnam, and five C-124s moved 504 individuals. The 315th Air Division and the 6481st Medical Air Evacuation Group handled these patients from Saigon hospitals via Clark Air Base to Tachikawa Air Base, Japan, where Military Air Transport Service, or M.A.T.S., craft flew them to the United States and finally to France and North Africa. The Navy hospital Haven moved 725 men from Vietnam to Oran, Algeria, and to Marseille. Air Force transports flew U.S. nationals from the Hanoi Haiphong area. The Philippine Airlines evacuated Filipino residents. Civil air transport planes took out the Chinese. U.S. Navy Amphibious Group 1 and Military Sea Transport Service lifted supplies and thousands of Vietnamese refugees to safety. The largest of these movements by far took place between July 10, 1954 and July thirtieth, nineteen 1955. Before the Viet Minh stopped the migration, about 880,000 Vietnamese fled from the north to the south. Few efforts were made to evaluate the air operations of the Indochina War, quite possibly because of a general feeling that it was pointless to draw lessons from a conflict that was doomed from the start. The French had been unable to win the support of the people where the war was fought. Even so, at General Twining's direction, General Hewitt visited the region and prepared a detailed report. His main conclusion was that the manpower strength of the French Air Force had been hopelessly inadequate to support 182,000 ground troops dispersed in many garrisons air operations were largely responses to urgent ground force requests in consequence the french had tried to do too much in far too many places with much too little summarizing the reasons for this lackluster performance feaf noted the personnel shortages and the poor organization often more aircraft than pilots were available and too few maintenance men were on hand to keep planes serviceable furthermore tactical air planners had been unable to develop targets in the monsoon mountain mass of north vietnam and interdiction missions had been relatively ineffective against enemy supply lines, particularly against the flow of goods from China. Both General Hewitt's and FEAF's assessment implied that the existing problems were correctable. Both General Hewitt's and FEAF's assessment implied that the existing problems were correctable, but neither echoed an earlier estimate by General G J. M. Chasson, French air commander, who suggested that the Viet Minh tactics of concealment, dispersal, surprise, and psychological warfare were extremely difficult to counter with fast-flying military planes. President Eisenhower welcomed the end of bloodshed in Indochina. American assistance, he said, had been unable to cure an unsound relationship between the Asiatics and the French, and had therefore been of only limited value. Two Vietnams emerged. In both, most people lived in two great river deltas. The Red in the north and the Mekong in the south, as well as in the lowlands between the sea and mountains. North Vietnam, under Ho Chi Minh at Hanoi, had about 16 million people, including a communist political elite and battle-hardened military forces. Brutal collectivization programs in 1954 and 1955 decreased the popularity of the revolutionaries. The migration of nearly a million inhabitants south during the year after the Geneva Accords was a protest against the regime and the conditions of life but the communists confidently expected the national reunification plebiscite in 1956 to deliver the other Vietnam peacefully to them. In South Vietnam, with 14 million people, failure of the French to develop indigenous leaders hampered the anti-communist nationalists. During the absence of Bao Dai in France, control of the state developed upon Ngô Dinh Diem, a member of the Catholic minority. He became head of the cabinet in Saigon in June 18, 1954, and a few weeks later was invested as president of the Council of Ministers. Not widely known in the country and somewhat aloof, Diem depended heavily for advice on his immediate family, especially on his brother and political counselor, Ngô Dinh Nhu. Ho Chi Minh made no secret of his determination to extend his control over all Vietnam. Immediately after the Geneva Agreements, he called for a long and arduous struggle to win the South, which he described as territories of ours. He soon sent cadres across the 17th parallel, and they became known as Viet Cong. They expanded the communist apparatus in the south, prepared for future infiltration of men from the north, and worked for eventual unification under Hanoi through subversion as well as open conflict. President Eisenhower retained the U.S. embassy in Saigon and worked to strengthen the indigenous government in conjunction with the French, who had agreed to stay in Indochina until national forces could emerge. To compensate for and bolster the weak government, Secretary Dulles actively concerned himself with stimulating strong native military forces. According to a National Security Council, NSC, paper in August 1954, the Viet Minh victory in Tonkin had enhanced communist military and political prestige in Asia. Now the Viet Minh were certain to try to extend their influence beyond North Vietnam by military and non-military pressures, that is, by overt aggression and by exploiting internal political instabilities and economic weaknesses in neighboring free countries. To counter this estimated course of action, the United States decided to pursue three principal policies. Negotiate a Southeast Asia security treaty, pledging members to act promptly against armed aggression. Swiftly support legitimate governments in requesting and requiring assistance to defeat local subversion and rebellion. And, more specifically, support France in assisting the South Vietnamese to gain and maintain the military forces and economic conditions needed to meet foreign aggression and ensure internal security. Moving speedily, the United States, Great Britain, France, Australia, New Zealand, Pakistan, Thailand, and the Philippines ...signed the Southeast Asia Defense Treaty in Manila on September 8, 1954. The major threats triggering the agreement were subversion from within and aggression from outside a country. Although an individual nation had primary responsibility for counter-subversive activities... ...the Southeast Asia Treaty Organization, (SEATO) would act as a clearinghouse... ...to exchange information among the members and to discuss common policies. It was external armed aggression against any member that was recognized as the main common danger... ...and this the members pledged to meet collectively... Because the Geneva Agreements prevented Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia from joining the organization, CEDO spread its protections to them. In the case of Vietnam, the United States would work through the French to maintain the military forces necessary for internal security. For all members, the United States would discharge its treaty obligations by deploying mobile forces rapidly into the area, rather than by stationing units in the region. The treaty would become effective on February 1, 1955. Since CETO was to be a shield against external aggression, Secretary Dulles felt that South Vietnam needed military forces for internal security only. The Joint Chiefs of Staff were hesitant to spend scarce funds in Vietnam until a stable government existed. They believed, however, that U.S. military assistance to Vietnam should afford both internal security and limited defense against external attack. Much of the American problem stemmed from the kind of government in South Vietnam. The Saigon government had yet to consolidate its power, and there were conspiracies to unseat Diem. The Joint Chiefs wanted a reasonably strong civil government in control before the United States undertook a military training mission. Secretary Dulles understood this concern, but he thought that well-trained armed forces would strengthen the Vietnamese government. Under pressure from Dulles, the Joint Chiefs conceded that five indigenous divisions would permit Vietnam to maintain internal security and present a limited response to an internal attack. But it would take two or three years to train that force. If the United States decided to do the training, it should be assigned low priority so as not to impair more promising programs elsewhere. Between 1945 and 1954, the French had built up the Vietnamese regular and paramilitary forces to varying degrees of effectiveness. The Vietnamese Air Force consisted of the first liaison group with two squadrons of Moraine 500 Cricket Liaison planes and one squadron of Dassault MD-315 light combat assault aircraft and a training center at Nha Trang. Few Vietnamese had held high rank. Most were inexperienced enlisted desertions were frequent and damaging the french had declined the offer of american help in training the vietnamese but they changed their minds about the time of the geneva accords generals O'Daniel and ely in saigon agreed that the united states should assume some responsibility the geneva agreements fixed the maximum strength of the maag at 342 u s officers and men the number in the country when the accords were signed since this group was too small to do a great deal the french maintained management of the programs in october The Joint Chiefs ruled that the MAAG in Saigon could execute a training mission if this became a political necessity and if the French refrained from interfering. After a National Security Council meeting, the President ordered Ambassador Heath and General O'Daniel to collaborate in setting in motion a crash program designed to bring about an improvement in the loyalty and effectiveness of the Free Vietnamese Forces. He instructed the Joint Chiefs to prepare a long-range program to reorganize and train the minimum number of Vietnamese forces necessary to preserve internal security. The president also wrote to Diem to ask for Vietnamese-American cooperation on developing a strong and stable state capable of resisting subversion and aggression. In return for U.S. assistance, Eisenhower expected Diem to reform his government, make it responsive to the nationalist aspirations of the Vietnamese people, and shape it into a representative and democratic regime. American policy statements stressed internal security considerations, but public announcements indicated the intention to strengthen the nation to repel aggression as well as subversion the military forces projected were modeled on the U.S. Tri-Service pattern. They were more suitable for conventional military operations than for internal security and counterinsurgency activities. To dramatize interest in Vietnam and to evaluate the situation, President Eisenhower sent General J. Lawton Collins, U.S.A., to Saigon as a special U.S. representative on November 3, 1954. Among other missions, Collins was to look into the question of ensuring the loyalty of the army to the government. Shortly after Collins arrived, a vietnamese general officer who had challenged diem's control departed for france this resolved a struggle for the direction of the government in favor of diem stability seemed enhanced working within strength figures stipulated by the joint chiefs of staff collins at first negotiated solely with the french after january first nineteen fifty five when the union of the associated states with france terminated collins conferred directly with diem's government he secured agreement for american support of a vietnamese army numbering ninety four thousand men enough for a mobile battle corps of three field divisions and one regimental combat team, MAAG was to assume full responsibility for assisting the Vietnamese government to organize and train this armed force. Due to the personnel ceiling on MAAG, the French would help. On February 12, 1955, the United States formally took over all Vietnamese military training. Initial Vietnamese ground operations against the Viet Cong were encouraging. To destroy communist domination in certain areas, a Vietnamese brigade conducted a pacification operation in the Mekong Delta in February and March. In April and May, larger forces pacified the Quang Ngai and Dinh provinces on the coast of the South China Sea. The soldiers broke up the armed bands, destroyed arms, provided local security, and resettled refugees from North Vietnam onto vacant lands. During March, Diem's troops also put down rebellion by the Binh Chuyen Politico-Religious Sect, a revolt that spread to the Cao Dai and Ho Hao sects. Driving the dissidents out of the city, the Vietnamese army crushed their armed forces in a final campaign in the Rung Sat swamps southwest of Saigon in September and October. Occupation of the Tây Ninh province broke the Cao Dài insurgency. The army performed well, and the air force afforded moderate aid in the form of cricket liaison flights that conducted surveillance, directed artillery, and dropped psychological warfare leaflets. These successes gave confidence to Diem and optimism to the Americans— who hoped that continued support would enable the government to pull through further encouragement came when diem formed two new local defense organizations he recruited men for the civil guard and assigned them to work with provincial chiefs as a rural police he created the self-defense corps whose members used obsolete weapons to protect their homes villages and hamlets under district chiefs air force studies suggested that the most immediate danger to southeast asia was subversion but this was out of context with proposals to equip national air forces with conventional aircraft in addition there was a need to develop indigenous equipment and techniques in line with U.S. doctrine, so American jet aircraft could function in the event of a U.S. deployment to meet a CETO emergency. On May 5, 1955, General Twining approved an Air Force Council policy that the national air forces in the Pacific Far East should be shaped to cope with internal aggression, to defend a limited degree against external aggression, and to furnish air base complexes suitable for U.S. Air Force use if necessary. Whether the three were compatible remained to be seen. In September 1955, a program to forge indigenous counter-subversive military forces seemed to demand highly mobile ground commando troops operating closely with tactical air, slow-flying conventional strike aircraft carrying diversified weapons and loitering over target areas for extended periods, plus visual and photo-reconnaissance planes, light transports, and helicopters, and a strong militia to overcome communist infiltration at local levels. The Joint Chiefs of Staff believed that a U.S. effort to defend South Vietnam against external aggression under CETO procedures would be substantial, costly, and difficult to manage, especially without atomic weapons. To defeat a North Vietnamese invasion would call for two to four army divisions besides the South Vietnamese ground forces. To invade and occupy North Vietnam would take eight U.S. divisions. Moreover, quite a few Air Force tactical fighter wings would have to be committed, and this depended on proper air facilities. To prepare to meet a North Vietnamese invasion in the near future, the Joint Chiefs suggested increasing the efficiency of the South Vietnamese forces and improving the air bases in the country and in neighboring states. When Ho Chi Minh called upon Diem to open negotiations for a national plebiscite, not only Diem but Dulles protested publicly. An honest election would be impossible, they said, because the totalitarian regime in Hanoi would direct the vote of the people it controlled in the more populous North. Diem on August 9th positively rejected elections as long as the communist regime refused to grant democratic freedoms and fundamental rights to the people of North Vietnam. An October vote in South Vietnam gave Diem a mandate to set up a republic under his presidency. On October 26, 1955, the Republic of Vietnam came into being, and on the same day the United States extended recognition and established diplomatic relations. Because Ho Chi Minh was building a powerful army in North Vietnam, an invasion of South Vietnam would overwhelm Diem's forces that were organized and equipped chiefly for internal security. MAAG had therefore suggested that the Vietnamese army concentrate on repelling outside attack and that the United States concentrate on training the Civil Guard and Self-Defense Corps. Approving, the Joint Chiefs recommended that General Collins' ceiling of 94,000 men for the Vietnamese military forces be raised to 150,000, this would be enough for four field divisions six light divisions thirteen territorial regiments and about four thousand air four thousand navy and five thousand civilian employees lieutenant general samuel t williams U.S.A., was appointed the new maag chief in saigon arriving on november fifteenth nineteen fifty five he had to deal at once with an impending withdrawal of french forces to meet the revolt in algeria under arrangements made by general o'daniel french advisers were serving with american personnel in a training relations and instructions mission The French departure required a larger American complement. While the International Control Commission was unwilling to approve a bigger MAAG, it allowed the United States to send 350 men to Vietnam at its temporary equipment recovery mission to recover inventory and remove surplus equipment. Stretching the authority granted, MAAG employed these personnel as logistical advisors to replace the French working with Vietnamese Army units. They became the Combat Arms Training and Organizational Division of MAAG. On April 23, 1956, the last French commander-in-chief in Indochina closed his headquarters and left for France. According to General Williams, the pacification duty left the Vietnamese army little time for division combat training. Scattered miscellaneous units were hard to organize into a cohesive field force. President Diem described the light divisions as relics of the French colonial belief that the Vietnamese made poor soldiers and therefore had to work in small units. Increasingly, Diem wished his army to be organized and trained for field operations in conjunction with the Sido nations. When British and Canadian authorities insisted that this would violate the Geneva Accords and provoke particular disaffection in India, the United States refrained. South Vietnam's refusal to conduct elections to reunify the two Vietnams in accordance with the Geneva Agreement led American officials during the winter of 1955 to 1956 to expect a North Vietnamese invasion sometime after July 1956, the date when the elections would have taken place. Nothing happened and two months later President Eisenhower decided to help South Vietnam build armed forces for internal security and also for limited initial resistance to the North Vietnamese attack. The United States encouraged the South Vietnamese to align their military growth to U.S. military doctrine. As the United States prepared the Vietnamese to combat subversion and repel invasion as well, it seemed unable to decide which was the greater threat. The objectives for expanded national and regional defenses, even the distinction between the two, were vague, confused, and at times conflicting. This aggravated the problem American advisors faced in adapting US material and procedures to a strange environment. End of chapter 3. Recording by Tatiana Chachila, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania.